0: Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week.
1: Welcome back to Movement. Today I have the opportunity to sit down with Steve Woods Uh, Steve has been around, well, I've known Steve around Baptist Circles for a number of years and he's probably been around a little bit longer than me. Uh, but Steve is one of our accredited pastors. He's been a pastor of Baptist churches both here in Adelaide and also in up in Wyala. Uh, he's married to Vicky. Uh, they have three kids, who are probably at the just-leaving-home stage. Uh, we would
0: hope that he's would be leaving home <laughs> that's, stage.
1: That's the goal. Um, and Steve is currently involved in developing a local monastic community here uh, in Adelaide uh, and particularly loves uh, the opportunities that coffee and wine bring to <laughs> meet with the neighbours and <laughs> connect silly. with people. So you might hear a bit about that. But really why we wanted to have a chat with Steve Steve is Steves also has the role of State
0: Church Relationship Manager. Thank
1: you, Church Relationship Manager for Baptist World Aid. Uh, and so with that sort of local and global and Baptist uh, pastoral experience, great to have you with us today, Steve. Thanks, Linda. It's good to be talking to you. Excellent. So I'll start with my starting question we've been asking everyone, which is, Can you tell us a bit about the passions and the experiences that have shaped you and brought you into what you find yourself doing today?
0: Yeah, it's been an interesting thing to reflect on, actually, over the last few days as I've been preparing for this, to think about what are those key moments. And I think the first one that really stands out is, um, I think I was about seven years old. I grew up in a very traditional, conservative Baptist church where the ladies wore gloves and hats to church, and it was all very formal. But I remember when I was about seven, our church had a number of ex-missionaries, ex-global no, global interaction, Australian Baptist mm-hmm. Missionary Society, missionaries. And so there was a really strong focus on mission. And I remember about when I was about seven, I uh, really had this sense of uh, with my life, I wanted to be a missionary, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, quite interesting for a seven-year-old. And yeah. I know when I talk to my parents about that, they just sort of raise their eyebrows. <laughs> and, and so, so there's always been this underlying idea of a sense of call to to vocational church leadership mission in some description and um, also a really a real heart for mission and for those outside of the church, so I think that that developed then over, especially my teenage years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church that I was at uh, in the early to mid eighties through to the mid nineties had a uh, a really strong focus on working with Vietnamese refugees, yeah, right. yeah. Um, working with uh, refugees who'd come to Australia, and then also uh, helping sponsor other people out of refugee camps in. Uh, Hong Kong and Singapore mm-hmm. and other places to into into um, Australia, so I got to experience mm-hmm. another culture right on our doorstep and to to connect with that. So that again fed into this idea that uh, there's something uh, we exist for, we should mm-hmm. exist for outside of what we do. It's church. Right. I was involved in all the things in the Sunday school and youth group and all mm-hmm. those other things, but I always had this thought of why are we? Why are we just doing this for us? Right. Yes. Um, which is which uh, I think was a normal part of our church but mission was always about overseas right uh, And yeah. so it was always about so even my thinking about existing for uh, for people outside of us was about, people in Africa or people mm-hmm. in Vietnam or people in Asia or people, where, you know, existing for those people out there who hadn't heard the gospel, right. generally yeah. overseas, and we should send missionaries over yeah. to uh, to be part of that. And then uh, that call started to shift a bit, and I felt called into pastoral ministry and uh, studied at theological college and started to develop some passions and skills in that space, but... Uh, And it was in that time that I started to realise that actually there's a mission field here.
1: Right, yeah.
0: That uh, this isn't just about overseas. I started to read Leslie Newbegin and some other people who uh, started to talk about... All those things that we learn overseas about mission, we can actually apply them here because the cultural gap is just as large mm-hmm. in Australia.
1: Between the church and... Between
0: the church and general average, community. Yeah, average Aussies. Australian. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the average Aussie, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that really started to um, uh, stir my interest in that mm-hmm. space. Uh, and there, that developed even more when we were in Wyala, mm-hmm. uh, when, again, a, ch- a community that was... Uh, Lots of people, third and fourth generation unemployed, lots of people living on the poverty line, marginalized groups, uh, indigenous population, uh, and a church that, on the whole, was very comfortably middle class, Mm -hmm. most least. Most families had one person that had a university degree, if not both of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. So again, that kind
1: of gap. Uh, there's gap between
0: yeah. uh, a church that had this amazing facility in the middle of a town, uh, and yet even just around us, there were people who had would never come into the doors of the mm-hmm. church, um, and uh, had we had to learn how to try and build those bridges out from the mm-hmm. church to to connect. So. So that mission thing has driven yeah. me for a long time now about how do we be authentic Australian mm-hmm. Christians who can connect with our community in a way that brings the love of God mm-hmm. to them alongside that the other passion that developed was a passion for prayer
1: right. and
0: uh, uh, are not good at prayer <laughs> an
1: interesting confession from a pastor it's an it? interesting confession and, and, <laughs> oh,
0: my guess is you know let's let's name let's name it that lots of pastors would probably say the same thing we probably mm-hmm. pray professionally mm-hmm. but our own prayer life sometimes is very difficult and um, uh, when we were in whale about uh, 13 or 14 years ago we uh, got connected with uh, the International 24-7 Prayer Movement that was also a movement started by a whole bunch of people who uh, started praying together because they weren't very good at prayer. Right. And w- which is what I love about uh, this connection was uh, often prayer things, often most things actually in, that people write books about or do podcasts about, people come across as experts. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I... I get up every morning at 4 a.m. and pray for three hours and uh, and you should too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I found a tribe of people who actually said, we're really not good at this, but mm-hmm. maybe if we do some, some of this stuff together, mm-hmm. we might get a bit better at it. And, uh, and so I uh, started to connect and uh, really discover what, being intentional about prayer, even if we're not good at it, Mm -hmm. uh, what what it can do and how transformative it can be for for, uh, me personally and Mm -hmm. for us um, as the church community. And we had a season where um, we had prayer rooms set up in the church and we had 24-hour prayer things happening. Mm -hmm. We had all sorts of things. And it was just amazing. God just... um, I say this. I hate even using this phrase, but God showed up in amazing yeah. ways. We, we right. noticed God's presence. Yes, a whole he was
1: already lot more. there, but we yeah, we, we, had we noticed yeah.
0: God's presence a whole lot more. And yeah. uh, we had some incredible things happen. People healed. People set free from all sorts of addictions. People um, discovering deeper relationship with God in all sorts of ways. <laughs> and uh, basically, in that process, my life just got hijacked um, by by prayer and by um, by trying to begin to shape my life around mm-hmm. rhythms of prayer, And what, one of the things I discovered was uh, I'm not very good at disciplines in okay. life, right? And I'm my personality type is uh, always looking for the new thing, right. the next thing, yeah. the shiny thing. <laughs> the you know I'm an early adopter of technology, uh, whatever those things are. And I I got to the point where I realised I actually need to put some limits on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, became very challenging. Uh, how do you do that? What yeah. sort of limits do you put? Um, there's there's a, an ancient Jewish tradition. I don't think it's like mainstream Jewish. I think it's off to the side right. somewhere. But that talks about this idea that uh, in order to create the world, God himself self-limited, that okay. because God is... Because God fills up all the space in the universe. Right. To enable there to be space for Him to create into, He actually had to pull back.
1: Interesting. Yeah. That's I know. This is, idea, yeah, isn't it? it's, I'm yeah. not sure it's
0: technically orthodox, but, <laughs> but it has this idea of.
1: Just, yeah, you can see the idea of making space. Of for God making
0: the, space to create right. the universe yeah. and to create humanity into. Mm-hmm. And. Um, and in doing so, limited himself. Of course, we see that also in Jesus, you know, in Kenosis, in Philippians, how he yeah. had he was he had everything. Jesus had everything at his disposal, but chose to gave chose to give that up to become mm-hmm. human and limit himself. Ultimately, limit himself to death. Um, mm. So there is this idea of limitation that. Uh, Jesus Self-Limited, uh, and I uh, thought, well, if Jesus can do it, maybe I can mm. do it too. And so s- started to try and put some boundaries around how I did things, how I started my day, how I ended my day. Right. And I'm, I'm still not very good at it, but um, but it started to change. And as I've investigated that more, then I discovered the whole monastic traditions. Right. and um, uh, And so in the last few years have really embraced... That even more,
1: and yeah, which is probably a word we need to unpack a bit. I'm thinking <clears throat> it's not very Baptist, not a, not very Baptist. <laughs> and um, you know, probably a little un, unclear to some people listening. Yeah. What does monastic mean?
0: Well, yeah, I guess people, have, there's all sorts of um, yeah, all sorts of questions around that, isn't there? And all sorts of interpretations. And uh, we often think of you know, the the abbots and the, the monks in, yeah, in the a monastery going somewhere a going, in yeah. Desert, yeah. Yeah, hiding in the desert or building some building and staying in there and not engaging with the world at all. Um, I love uh, I love reading about Sir Benedict who, you know, created this rule of life for his monks and there's pages and pages and I can't remember how many, like hundreds of different rules that these monks had to do every day. Right. And, and at the end, Benedict says, and none of these should be onerous or burdensome. <laughs> it's like, really? Right. Just keep this whole big list. Yeah. But, but um, so for me, monasticism is about trying to shape my life bounded by and organized around rhythms of prayer and rhythms mm-hmm. of uh, trying to allow God to set the clock in my mm-hmm. day rather than uh, family and work and expectations that I put on myself or on other people. to try and create this livable space mm-hmm. that has some sort of regular rhythm. So around daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, annual rhythms and so it's not about um not about withdrawing from society it's actually about um finding a place where i can engage with god personally and corporately so that i can engage with the world so it's withdrawing to engage yeah um but it shouldn't be one of it's like um uh, often use the phrase it's like breathing like we have to breathe in and we have to breathe out yeah. Uh, we can't just breathe in. Uh, people want to just pause the podcast for a minute and breathe in only for five minutes. No breathing out, just breathing in, just see how you go. <laughs> don't, don't try this at home, not recommended. And so we have to do both, right? Yeah. We have to, And, and so part of the, the monastic rhythms, the prayer rhythms are about breathing in, uh, becoming aware of God's presence and breathing in God's presence. But breathing that out in mission and breathing that mm-hmm. out in justice and breathing that out in the way we interact with the world. And that's become really uh, central for me in how I try and uh, how I try and do life.
1: That's great. And I love the way that you've explained that there. And I think that makes sense because at, at first glance, people might think, okay, so monasticism and sort of withdrawing and then, hang on, you, you work for Baptist World Aid and this kind of whole global engagement, but it's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. yeah? So yeah, yeah. so how does it come about that at the same time as you've kind of been exploring prayer and monasticism, you also find yourself working in this global advocacy space? Well, again,
0: so grew up in this with this mission headset. Um, so I've always been interested in overseas. I've always been interested in travel. When I was uh, 20, I think it was about 20, I went on a uh, global mission exploration trip to Zimbabwe for a month, and um, uh, it was actually there at that uh, on that trip that I actually discovered this sense of call into church ministry rather than mission. So driving out in. Middle of Zimbabwe, somewhere uh, in the front of the bus, chatting with an ABMS missionary. It was near the end of our time, and I was, he was just asking, "What are you, gonna What's your, are you going to do? Where you know, where's your life going?" Questions, <laughs> and I said, oh, "I'm really interested in mission." And he said, "Steve, I've just been watching you over the last few weeks, and uh, uh, here's my reflection. There's two types of people we need in the church. We need missionaries who come overseas, and we need." People who understand what happens overseas, who train and equip and raise up missionaries to send overseas. Yeah. and he said, "My gut feeling is that you're the second one." <laughs> now, I think he was trying to be really kind and say, "Don't come. You're not going. You won't cut it on out of here." <laughs> but at the same time, it became, it became really yeah. central to okay, I, I can actually have more impact mm. now, personally if if I can train, raise up, mm-hmm. uh, encourage other people to do this. I can multiply. The effect of ministry, rather not just me going, mm-hmm. so that became really central to how I did ministry. So I got very interested in what happens overseas. I got very interested in uh, Baptist World Aid, being a good Baptist pastor, <laughs> um, part of the family, and um, so do you think I do know how many brownie points you're getting. For yeah, yeah, thank you, the names, yeah, well done. Right people can yeah. just tick that off. That'd be great. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and so I had this. Uh, Developing interest in what's going on overseas, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, I guess in those days, Baptist World Aid was mostly known for child sponsorship. Right. And so you know, every church I was involved in, there were people who sponsored children, and uh, we we did some of those things. But I, I think uh, this developing, as as I prayed more and as I discovered God's heart more for the poor and for the marginalised, I realised that affects not just my local community, but Mm -hmm. it affects uh, how I react globally to things as well. And so um, the two sort of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Prayer has to, for me, prayer has to feed into action. It can't just be locking ourselves away, but that action has to, that's birthed out of prayer. When we get hold of God's heart, uh, we often hear that God has a heartbeat for the poor and the Mm marginalised and... um, so uh, God just sort of wove all these streams together and here I am um, planting our own little missional community and working for Baptist World Aid and thinking about global things as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great combination. So maybe for people who aren't super familiar with Baptist World Aid, could you give us a brief overview of kind of what Baptist World Aid is and then what your what your role is? Sure.
0: So Baptist World Aid uh, was established 61 years ago in Australia by um, three pastors yeah. uh, who um, Met in uh, the lined back shed of a manse at French's Forest Baptist Church.
1: That's the church that I went uh-huh. to when I was a very young child. Yeah, and <laughs> but,
0: so um, uh, they come. They come to this uh, realization that there were disasters happening overseas, yeah. and uh, we were a wealthy country, even in post-war, we were a wealthy country, and mm-hmm. maybe if we build a relationship with someone overseas, we could send some funds from here over there to mm-hmm. to help.
1: Right,
0: um, and uh, the, the, the story goes that they had their well, we had a big celebration last year and I met um, someone who was the son of one of those pastors right. who remembers those meetings yeah. you know the the annual the, the the board meeting of these three guys happened once every two years. they ran this whole fledgling aid and development agency out of a once every two year board meeting where they right. got together and uh, and so but that's what aid has now grown to be. Um, within within Baptist circles globally, uh, Australian Baptist World Aid is the uh, premier aid agency. Okay. Baptists from all over the world come to look at what oh, we really? do. Wow. I think we currently, yeah. ha- we work in um, 18 different countries, 42 different partners, <laughs> 18 countries, 42 partners, 84 projects around right. the world. Yeah. And um, so we, uh, we, again, I guess part of the thing I've learned about me training people to send overseas to multiply an impact. Baptist World Aid are brilliant at multiplying our impact. So we take what we do as Australians, we take some money, um, Mm -hmm. we take support from churches and individuals, and we multiply that by working with Christian partners overseas Mm -hmm. uh, to have an an enormous effect on on community development in, uh, like I said, 18 different countries currently around the world. And so my role is uh, as state relationship manager to connect with churches and pastors and leaders um, to help churches do some work on uh, what does justice look like? What what does God say about poverty? What does God say about how we engage with the world? Uh, We can run workshops. We can uh, do education stuff around that thing. Uh, And, of course, there's a fundraising element, and uh, we're looking to uh, encourage Baptists to to give generously, as they have done, Remarkably, even in this last year with with COVID and all the things mm-hmm. that happened, just the generosity of Australian Baptists has just overweighed. South Australian Baptists have given nearly yeah. a million dollars wow. this year. Yeah. Uh, in the last, Sorry, in the last financial year, yeah. uh, nearly mm-hmm. a million dollars out of South Australian Baptists that has gone yeah. to overseas aid and development. So mm-hmm. very generous and uh, it's a privilege to be able to sit in that middle space between the churches and the work overseas and help each understand each other.
1: Yeah. I've got so many questions for you, Steve, <laughs> from all this. But um, maybe a couple of clarifying things. So, yep. obviously, um, people maybe know about Baptist Mission in terms of like you mentioned Australian Baptist Missionary. So they send people to places where there is, you know, no church. Yep. But Baptist World Aid essentially is about sending resources and mo- and money to support those. So, so when it's in people, we actually support people in their own communities. Is that
0: absolutely? Yeah. So we we um, our philosophy is that we really believe that local people who live on the ground who are locally part of cultures understand cultures mm-hmm. better and um, uh, there's lots of places where we do aided development work where just sending in people from australia to do the work mm-hmm. is almost impossible they are closed countries what we call yeah, you know, where governments are very difficult to work with well, um, you're
1: just taking the jobs off the local people like and and absolutely correct
0: we uh the why we can, with the money we raise here, we can employ a lot more people locally mm-hmm. there than we can in the same amount of money it would take to support one worker to go overseas. So we work with Christian partners. Yep. So all, our, all our agencies are Christian partners. Um, some of them are local denominations. Some of them are groups of local churches. Some of them are uh, not for profits in, in <laughs> their own countries. Um, it all work out of a Christian ethos and all do community development Uh, but our aim is to uh, have local people doing the work and then we we back them up with admin we Mm -hmm. back them up with um, uh, training and equipping and accountability and making sure that the money that is given is spent where Mm -hmm. we say it's going to be spent and where the partners say it's going to be spent so good accountability good structures um, to help those partner agencies do the best job they can in helping communities Mm. become better resourced, have better incomes, lift themselves out of poverty.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So the other thing that always amazes me about Baptist World Aid, like we kind of mentioned that kind of multiplying effect. Mm. So, you know, you can can do so much more in a lot of places with what we send. But also there's this idea that sometimes when we give money to Baptist World Aid, it gets multiplied because you're partnering with – the government or how, – oh. how does all that work?
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, so once a year, we, we run what we call our matching grants um, appeal, which runs in May and June. We run right. it in the lead-up to the end of the financial year. Um uh, so, the Australian government is committed to overseas aid, mm-hmm. um, not as much as we'd like them to be. Sure. Uh, this year, they bumped it just a little with a focus on uh, the uh, Asia-Pacific region, mm-hmm. the Paci- uh, which has meant they've actually pulled some money from Africa and some mm-hmm. other places. Yeah. But, you know, it yeah. has slightly increased. It's going increased. in the right direction. It's, it's slightly increased, and we pray that that will continue. But yeah. um, uh, But the government... Uh, Uh, offer money for programs that that Mm. Australian agencies can then uh, apply for, for funding. And so uh, part of the condition of that funding is that they will give us some money, but Mm. we have to raise part of that to show that um, that we're committed to it as well. And they also look at that in, in terms of, uh, when they say how much, uh, if, if we raise a good amount of money, they, the mm-hmm. government can look at that and say, actually, there are Australians who are putting a significant amount of money towards mm-hmm. this, so there must be enough Australians who are interested in it, mm-hmm. so politically it becomes a good thing. Yeah, and so it's about it's this World Aid over the last few years, we have, so we have to submit programs to the government and say, this is what we'd like to do, this is how much it yeah. will cost, and they say, great, we'll give you money, you have to raise this much as well, and so uh, it's all formulas that are above my head and I don't (laughs) know, but... But over the last few years, that, that has just been growing and growing. So yeah. the money that we've been getting from Australian Baptists in that appeal has been growing, mm-hmm. and the money that the government has been giving us has growing. Yeah. And so the government don't give money lightly, mm-hmm. and so they look at our programs, they look at the way we do them, they look at the principles, of the, uh, how we do community development, how we do aid, how we do relief work, and they look at it and they say, uh, yeah, we're happy with that. And mm-hmm. they, every year for the past few years, that number has increased uh, yeah. quite significantly. So... Uh, it's good for That's us. Great. It's, it's yeah. encouraging that, the, that an outside organisation can look in and say, yes, we actually believe in what you're doing and that you're doing it well.
1: Absolutely. And that what we're doing, we're doing in partnership you know, with others and, and having that broader impact. Which leads me to my next question then is there's that kind of, okay, so we're working in partnership with, but the other side of Baptist World Aid is, is kind of stepping into the advocacy and justice space, maybe when we would like to see more happening from other partners, yes. particularly from our government. Yes. What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so advocacy, advocacy is one of those spaces that uh, you know, we, can, we can send money overseas and we can help a community develop and we can do some really good things there and that's really important. Um, But sometimes there are people who are still trapped in systems that no matter how much effort we put into helping their community develop, there's a ceiling of how much they can reach or there's Mm -hmm. there's limits on what can happen. And one of the ways to deal with that is to try to deal with the systemic issues that are bigger than just any one community and and so government issues and world trade issues and all sorts of things. And so Baptist World Aid have really been developing a role in the advocacy space where we talk to uh, politicians, we talk to key leaders now. Uh, I guess the thing we're known for most is our ethical fashion guide, <laughs> which, um, uh, as we record, this was released yesterday. Oh, new really? One. The new one's out? Uh, new the one new one has just fashion. come out, which is a slightly different one this year, which okay. is really looking at uh, – it's been very difficult because of COVID mm-hmm. to uh, think about uh, asking companies how they're doing uh, with all these – questions that we asked them so that we've changed I don't want to use the word pivot but we've changed okay. our focus this year just for this year to uh how are, how are companies actually treating their workers wow. during okay. COVID times in yeah. terms of are they continuing with orders or are they some companies just cancelled orders that were already in production and mm-hmm. then just cancelled and didn't pay for them uh are they are they making sure the workers are being looked after they making sure their workers are healthy mm-hmm. uh, all those sort of things yeah. so we've um I developed uh, our COVID fashion guide this year, just released, uh, that starts to grade, I think it's 93 companies, but over 400 brands uh, that you can buy in Australian fashion shops on how well they've done in reaching. Uh, caring for their workers and, and making sure that their workers are safe and supported in COVID times. So that's probably the thing we're known for most and, and within the church and also out, outside the church and in politics and all sorts of places. Yeah, we're ab- proud
1: of it. Absolutely. We'll have to put a link to that um, in our show notes for people right. who aren't aware of it so they can find out about it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm sure I've told you this and I might have even said it on the podcast before, but I had the opportunity to be in Parliament House last year um, on behalf of Baptist churches you know, and speaking to some politicians and as soon as they heard Baptist, they're like, oh, you're the ethical Fashion people like, yeah. sure, we'll take credit for it. Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you should take credit for it because we're ours. family. It is yeah. ours,
0: you know. And I think that's the thing I love most about Baptist World Aid is it is mm. family. It's, yeah. uh, yes, we have expertise and we do this with some of the most skilled and gifted people in Australia in aid and development. Um, but we do it because we're part of the Baptist family. We do it on behalf of the Baptist mm. family in ways that uh, people in a church just can't do. Pastor, I, I, I think the thing. Uh, it's amazed me is I thought I was pretty cluey on mm-hmm. aid and development and what happens in the world and world politics and all those things but since I've been in this role for yeah, the nice. last 18 months the stuff I've learned about how how we deliver aid how we deliver programs how we spend money where we spend money what's good money to send overseas what's bad money to say all mm-hmm. those things I've learned so much that that I thought I knew as a pastor um, uh, but since I've been in that space I realized how much I didn't actually know.
1: No, oh, that's great. I want I ask you about that, I think the the Ethical Fashion Guide for me is such a great example of, like, you know, it's it's being used broadly across our country. Politicians are aware of it. Like, it's 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 almost like an advocacy tool, but it's yes. also just really practical for us as individual Christians and churches. Okay, how do we live out our faith in a really practical way? Yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. how I spend my money and how I, you know, what I buy. Yeah, and, and, and
0: when I when I, you know, I go and visit churches, and often every church, is just about people go. Oh, I just need to grab another one of these because I've had one and I've given it to someone else or can I grab a few and uh, they, they'll take the guide off the table but I also say I keep it in my bag or I keep mm-hmm. it in my purse and when I go shopping I'll actually pull it out Yeah. and um, you know it's, it's one of those things that we, we grade companies from A plus through to F on how mm-hmm. they go on a whole heap of different commitments but uh, one of the things we don't want people to do is use it just to say, "Well, I'm not going to buy from them anymore." Right. Oh, they didn't rate very well. I'm just not going to buy from them. I say you should actually go in, go into the shop, go in on a Saturday morning when the when the 15 year old casual is working, and pull out the ethical fashion guide and ask him questions because then they have just freaks them out completely. But we have people <laughs> that go in and they say yeah. at the counter, oh, "Look, I really like buying your stuff, but I see here that you aren't, yeah. you don't score very well in some of these things." Um, do you know why that is? Or if I leave my email address, could you find out someone that can get back to me and tell me why? And we know of companies that have changed their whole way they they uh, get their supplies, the way they treat their workers overseas, the way they uh, are transparent about all those things. So we know big, big yeah. K- Kmart. Yeah. Kmart have told us that they now use our ethical fashion guide to – guide how they do all their overseas procru- procurement, I hate that word, of all their stuff. Yeah. Everything, so cheap doesn't have to mean bad. Yeah. Um, and K- so Kmart, use our, Cotton On or another company, the yeah. same thing. Yeah,
1: there was a huge shift, wasn't there, they, they, I
0: think when we first started doing our guide, Cotton On rated around an F, mm-hmm. and now they're an A.
1: It's amazing. And,
0: again, uh, they use our, the stuff that we've put together as their framework for how they relate to their workers overseas and the kind of pa- companies they partner with and where they get their supplies from. Yeah. So it's it's had a, it's had an impact.
1: It's huge impact. It's, it's, and you see this multiple levels. So it has an impact for us at the individual level of helping us to shape our decisions around how we are ethical and yeah. faithful. Yeah, but actually. We're changing the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we and so we'd love people to ask those questions. And so we want to use it as a guide to ask the questions rather than just stop buying. Mm. Because yeah. we want to see companies change. Yeah. Uh, we don't want companies if everyone if everyone stopped buying a label and they Um, They close down their factories overseas. And there are actually people out of work. And that's, you know, they they might not be earning much, but they're earning something. Whereas what we want to do is we want to see conditions for workers improve and we want to see sustainable living wages paid overseas. And the way to do that is to get the companies to change the way they do So grab the guide and use it as a way. When you go shopping, uh, to use it. Look up your favourite brand. Do I really need that brand of shoes? Or if they rate poorly can I talk to them about
1: yeah. why they do that fantastic now you mentioned there so since you've been in this role you said you've been learning lots so I'm wondering if I can ask you about that mm. are there things in particular that you've learned from um either you know what you've had to get your head around or opportunities things you've seen projects you've been part of what have you been learning
0: yeah good question um probably two things come to mind one is that um uh, there is there are good ways to send money overseas and bad ways right and uh Often we, uh, I think I had this when I was pastoring, I think I had this mentality that was uh, poverty means that people lack something. Okay. So as long as I send them, I can, I can send them money or I can send them supplies or I can mm-hmm. send them whatever, yeah. if I send that to them, then they won't lack that anymore Okay. and they'll be okay. Right. Um, but what I've come to understand is poverty Uh, is actually about broken relationship. Okay. So it's broken relationship. If we go back to the creation story, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, let's, let's be biblical about it that, in this, that God created the world, that God created humanity and then because of the fall there's this broken relationship with God, there's this mm-hmm. broken relationship with each other and there's a broken relationship with our planet mm-hmm. and all of those things um, are part of what being poor means, mm-hmm. people who are poor have broken relationships yeah. they've broken relationship with God they've broken relationship with their environment and they've broken relationships in their communities <laughs> <laughs> I know you to talk about
1: that. I can see. it. Well, my only my only caveat that to that would be um, broken relationship with God. Obviously, lots of people who are poor actually not you know know Absolutely. God, and and Absolutely. in fact, sometimes it's those of us who are rich who have the true. strongest broken relationship yeah, with God. True. So that's my only true. caveat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, yes, no, I'm, 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 with... I'm, willing,
0: I'm willing. to accept <laughs> can that. See that one. but um, but yeah. So we we so learning about how do how do we. Um, how do we? This, and this is advocacy, and this is changing systems as well as uh, doing good community development. Mm. How do we? How do we help people have better relationships with the planet, mm. have better relationships yeah. within their communities, have better relationships within their own countries? Mm. Um, And so that's that's the second thing I've learned. I saw this when I was in Cambodia earlier this year. We we were visiting a village that was up north, uh, up near the Thai border, surrounded by landmines, um, still clearing landmines (laughs) from Khmer Rouge and um, just... uh, um, Uh, a place that Baptist World Aid have been partnering in for almost nine years. We only do nine-year projects, about nine years. Our our aim is to see a community lifted out of poverty and then hand everything over to them and move on and do it somewhere else. So we're not constantly giving money uh, not yeah. constantly giving resources, so uh, not
1: creating dependence. Not creating but, dependence. Yeah.
0: But, uh, but but empowering actually, people. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, we we went and visited this this lady who was part of the, been part of our program for nine years. Her community was part of the program. Her three children were sponsored by Australian sponsors. So mm-hmm. we uh, when we do uh, child sponsorship, we don't give money directly to the kids. We don't <laughs> buy school uniforms. We don't buy books. We don't build schools. We don't do any of that. So we actually put The money into community development yep. and help them and their community find different ways of connecting with education and all those things, yep. but not so the community not,
1: supporting the child in a sense, the community
0: supporting yep. the child and the child become representatives of the yep. community. Um, right. so I saw this, this lady who, um, had three children, she had a husband who was who would go off and work, he was a tried to get work truck driving around the place, and he would go off and drive and come home and go off, and uh. We met her at her house. She had this small house. It was on wooden, wooden house on stilts. It was probably, I don't know, three metres by three metres square, one room, um, and a bit of a veggie patch that she'd had. And when she uh, started the program, she got some help with some agriculture to learn how to do plants better, mm-hmm. uh, and she joined a savings group. And these savings groups are, I think, one of the best things we do, that uh, borrowing money mm-hmm. and saving money in rural communities in Cambodia and also other places it's just difficult banks are notoriously difficult to deal with and corrupt and all sorts of things so what we do is we seed fund a um a savings group and I think Mm. in this group we seed funded it with 300 us dollars right so you know again nothing 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 for us Um, Mm. and in that we seed fund it we we gather the community together and people decide yes they want to be part of it and how much money each week they want to put into that right um and then that becomes their local community bank so they save their money there they save it together and then they can uh, get more interest from it Mm because it's a bigger bigger bit and then they can withdraw money from it and they can borrow from it right and so this lady um, had a developing garden that she was getting a few plants from and to feed her family and to sell a little bit and she bought um a couple of pigs Mm -hmm. and she uh Bred Those pigs, and uh, we discovered that pigs breed like rabbits. And, <laughs> who knew? Who knew? And so, I uh, bred these pigs until she had a whole heap of pigs. We didn't see the pigs because she'd sold them. Right. And she bought a cow. Mm-hmm. And uh, she bought the cow, and then she'd um, uh, bred more cows to the point she had 15 cows. Right. And so, then she sold five of those cows for 700 US dollars each. Wow and was using that money to build a new home on the same land for her family. And yeah. we saw it. So We could see it was right next to where the old house was. But well, this house had good, solid, concrete foundations, and it was up elevated, and uh, it was big, and it had rooms, and all the kids could have rooms. And we said to her, what difference is it m- making being part of this program? She said, well, mm-hmm. you know, look at the house. But she yeah. said, you know, my kids aren't sick anymore. Yeah. We've got a toilet now uh-huh. and we, um, so my kids don't, it, what happened before? They just go and go to the toilet wherever, which usually meant amongst the vegetables yeah. that then I'd pick and eat. And so my kids have learned how to wash their hands. I've learned how to keep my house clean. And so my kids aren't missing as much school. We're all healthier. And now she's volunteering in her community as a health um, a health worker, teaching other mums how to Get the kids to wash their hands. Mm-hmm. How to keep their house, how to keep their house clean. How to have a toilet and how to use all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. That's changed her. So she's happy. Her life is different. Um, and what did it cost us? It cost us some money to to partner with this agency who's sending community development workers and help them. Trained with agriculture and stuff, and it costs us three hundred US <laughs> dollars to seed fund a savings group, yeah. and it's whole fair, and that's multiplied time after time after time. So, yeah. little bits of money can actually make a big difference if they're given in the right
1: way. Yeah, and you see that how it's all connected. You know, like saying like health and education, and you know, like the yeah, whole yeah. Or, yeah, all the yeah, yeah, yeah. all the factors.
0: If they, you know, if they, I think of it in our our local context where we're doing mission. You know, uh, I look around my community. and What my community actually needs is a really good cafe.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, yeah. like so. Uh, that's what that's what we'll do. We'll go and build a cafe for the community. But what if they don't want it? Yeah. So working with the community. What do you want? What yeah. will help you um, rather than just what I think is a good idea to send you?
1: Mm. Uh, it's. I mean, it, sound, it sounds very Jesus like doesn't it? We're not not giving out of kind of either either of guilt or out of it. I know better, but it's actually like empowering and honouring people, honouring yes. that they. They have value and worth and creativity, and you know they have the highly, Holy Spirit and, and they have the ability like too. When you yeah. see the
0: way you, when you, you've done it, you travel to developing nations and you, you see how people are so um, so clever. They make things out of nothing, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the, the things that they can create, and, and like it's not. It's not like they're lesser than us and uh, Mm. just need our excellent Western engineering skills and wisdom to come in and help them have a better life. They know Mm. what to do. We just need to put the right support structures around them and and help them.
1: And absolutely. And I think the flip of that too is that there's much that we have to learn from people uh, living in different contexts and cultures and particularly people living in poverty. They probably have a lot to teach us about uh, and challenge us and convict us about some of the things that... Maybe aren't great about the way we live and do things. Yeah, 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 Yeah. very much. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to briefly ask you before we wrap up. uh, I mean, what's been happening this particular season, and and obviously this year has been a year like no No other. other. So you know, going into a role where you're working in, in, uh, yeah, the unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. Um, But going into a role where you're kind of working in you know global, and then not being able to visit, and you know, and how has it impacted (laughs) what's been what's been like, and what are the challenges? and opportunities moving
0: forward. Yeah, I guess in terms of Baptist World Aid, it's been really, uh, uh, I'm really grateful for the leadership of our organisation, of John Hickey, who's our CEO, who Mm -hmm. um, has a background in banking and finance, but led a banking organisation through the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And so when another big thing hit, um, it was just such a steady hand at the rudder, and uh, he's able, I, I don't know how he does it, he has high, high, much higher capacity than I have, but was able to help us as an organisation transition really quickly to understand that Actually, the way we do things now, we can't do. Mm-hmm. So we, the, the way we would work is, we go into a community and we get everyone together <laughs> and pack them into community halls or pack them into these spaces and um, and spend hours, days together. Well, we can't bring mm. people together. Um, we can't, uh, you know, have you have you in in. You know, rural Africa. How do you do social distancing in the community when you when you live in a house with seven other people? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, we heard from one of our workers in in Uganda who said uh, people are now having to make a choice:
1: mm-hmm.
0: the water that we had, my, my water that I have for today, my clean water. Do I drink that or do I wash my hands with it?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, like yeah. uh, we 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 say just help them wash their hands but with what? Yeah. You know, and so uh, so we switched yeah. really quickly into this mm-hmm. space of um, we actually just need to help our community stay alive. Yeah. Know? We actually just have to help with with PPE with masks and gloves, mm-hmm. and we have to help with hand sanitizer, and we have to help with soap and tea- you know, we've One of our partners in Uganda has done this great job of creating these washing stations that people can wash their hands without actually touching anything. They, right. The half buckets that filled with mm-hmm. water, and they use their foot to tip it over a yeah. little bit to get water. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah. And so, again, creativity, right? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so our shift has really been we're in this emergency phase now. Yeah of we just need to get people to survive. Yeah. Um, and then when uh, things start to change, then we'll go back to doing good community right. development again. So that's probably been the biggest challenge yeah. for a whole organisation who also, based in Sydney, most of our office... Sydney was in lockdown, yeah. so everyone was working from home, uh, like, the yeah. you know, it's a we're trying to adjust to a new way of working just ourselves, let alone what trying kind of to support community yeah. overseas. So it's been really challenging. Yeah. But, again, you know, we ran a, an appeal, a global emergency appeal for COVID, and, and, again, the generosity of Australia, but it's the biggest appeal we've ever run Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. in terms of the amount of money that came yeah. in, and we've been able to support partners in all sorts of places, in Lebanon and Africa and Asia, just to... Uh, just to be the place where They can survive where our partners can survive, Mm -hmm. where our our, our frontline workers have got enough uh, PPE equipment to be able to go and still connect with people, all those sort of things. So it's been really challenging. It's a challenging time for aid and development. And At the same time, you know, we talked about the advocacy stuff that factories are just shutting down. So people who do may get a little bit of money from working at a factory in Bangladesh or Cambodia or somewhere, those factories shut down. And so they all have to go back to their village. There's more people in confined spaces and all these things. It's been very challenging. Um, But... Um uh but great to be part of. Just so try yeah. and find some ways forward in that stuff.
1: Yeah. Amazing. And I think probably things for for all of us to learn from singing, I mean, Baptist World Aid does crisis response? You know, done it before. responds to you know tsunami or yep. an earthquake. Um, this is different because it's a global crisis. But at least you know there's, there's kind of the lessons that have been learned and the ways that have approached. Yeah, it, that and, have been, and come to again, the
0: fore. multiplying impact. So we mm. because we partner with so many different agencies. overseas, see when um, last year when winter hit in in Lebanon, there's all these Syrian refugees um, who just needed blankets. You know, mm. now we you know. We didn't have people in Australia who were going to sit down and knit blankets and stuff, but we were, we partner with with an organisation, basically the Baptist Baptist Union of Lebanon, right? And um, so we were able to really, really quickly send money to them yeah. to start to. To do stuff to care for that within within weeks, right? You know, so yeah. uh, uh, because we partner with significantly good agencies around the world, we can release funds quickly, and again, we can multiply impact even if it's a disaster in a place of the world that we don't have mm-hmm. workers, or we don't generally partner with. Uh, there's a tsunami here, there's a flood here, or there's an earthquake here. There's usually someone as part of the Baptist family or one of the other uh, agencies that we work with globally. Uh, mm-hmm. That can actually do that And again another Christian partner that we can just send resources to to mm-hmm. do something really quickly and mm-hmm. so get uh, uh, yeah, multiplying small things become big things really quickly
1: yeah excellent I'd love to ask you how um, we can learn and be challenged by this so you know that there, there is this this invitation for us to participate and be a part of what God's doing because yep. we do have the resources and we can be generous and we're not living in, in the poverty that people in many of these countries are. But we also recognise that, you know, we have things to learn and we have spiritual poverty and, you know. So yes. what what do you think um, you've seen or what are you learning from that kind of work globally that speaks back to us and challenges us?
0: Yeah. Well, so uh, our, uh, I think one of the things that, that I love, because my, my role with Baptist World Aid is, is part-time, mm-hmm. um, which gives me space to develop the, the missional community, the monastic community that we're developing in our own neighbourhood.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... Uh, I'm learning so much about how Baptist World Aid, how we do overseas aid and development. Mm-hmm. That's really helping us in our local community. So, uh, really simple things like how do we get, how do we listen to our community? Right. Rather, yeah. again, rather than turning up and saying we know what you need,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you need a play cafe or you need <laughs> a um, I don't know uh, something, <laughs> and we'll do it because we're the church and we have some we have some money. The classic one I think we hear often. Are, are so many, uh, so many people have heard this, and I don't mean to be facetious in any way Mm -hmm. but oh there's poor people in our community we need to run a soup kitchen right you know like Good luck. Who's gonna come?
1: Well yeah, and who wants to eat soup? Yeah. So, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's a personal preference thing, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> but who's gonna come? <laughs> yeah.
0: Like so we'll just set it up somewhere and people will just come, is yeah. that how it works? You know, the whole if you build it they will come thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so it's been really good for us to Vicky and I and some others in our in our core team to live in our neighbourhood mm-hmm. and uh just to get to know people. Yeah. yeah. If things were to change around here, what what mm-hmm. would you like to see change? Mm-hmm. What? How can if we were to do one thing to help this community, what do you think it could be? And so learning to really listen and mm-hmm. exegete our community. We, you know, as pastors, we're really good at exegeting Scripture. I hope mm-hmm. we are. We we train to do that. But how do we exegete our community? What's going on? What's mm-hmm. what's the hurt? What's the frustrations? What's the What's the unspoken rules and culture that goes on. And our neighbourhoods a really mixed neighbourhood, full of refugees and Indigenous people and, uh, again, people who are on the margins a lot. And so uh, even building trust is really difficult. So mm-hmm. being there long-term, learning to listen, um, and then how do we help those people do those good things for their neighbourhood, mm-hmm. not just how do we turn up and put on a service for them um, or you know whatever that thing is but how do we how do we help them how do we there's already strengths there there's already you know just the same as the people in cambodia they've got skills and they've got dreams and they've got hopes and they don't want to be poor either so how do we help them um deal with whatever they need to deal with so that they can begin to flourish in in their in their neighborhood jeremiah says you know pray for the welfare of the city Mm. and plant gardens and live and grow and be. And so I think what I'm learning from Baptist World Aid to bring back here is um, uh, we might have some skills, but we shouldn't ever come in as experts. Mm -hmm. Um, We should come in as listeners and learners on the journey. And and if poverty is about broken relationships, then maybe number one priority is restoring relationships within our community. Mm -hmm. So just being there, just making friends. And praying in the midst of it and trusting that God knows what he's doing that's far bigger than... um, than
1: what we could even imagine. I mm. no, think, Steve, I feel like we could keep talking all day about this. And I'm sure there are some people listening who are passionate about global, you know, advocacy and justice, and maybe some who are just I'm just doing my thing in my local neighbourhood. And what we hear from you is they they both important. They can both inform each other. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I think we um uh, the. They're not different. Mm. They're not different. The, the the context is different, and the uh, how we approach them may be different. But in the end, uh, we we can we can do the same thing, whether it's overseas or whether it's in our local neighbourhood. Um, there are people, and there are people who need to be loved, and there are people who need relationship and. Mm. Um, we
1: can do that, mm. and like you said, going back to Genesis, you know, and then God is on about restoring all things to Everything. Himself, and yeah, yeah. He's doing that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, thanks for the chat today, Steve. It's been great. Uh, I'm sure if people want to find out more, they can jump on the Baptist World Aid website, or they can invite you to come and speak at their Loved church, it. or just come and have a coffee. Yeah, always up for a coffee. coffee. Excellent. Done.
0: Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars. Tap, subscribe, and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's SA, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest.